Digital marketing seems to be the mystery that most entrepreneurs struggle with, and real estate investors are no exception. The truth is, there are multiple avenues to success. Those experiences will be best shared by the guests on this podcast. My name is Jason Wright, and I would like to welcome you to Real Estate Investor Marketing Stories. What is going on? Jason Wright here. Welcome back to the show. This is episode number nine, and decided to bring it to you. Good stuff. Keeping the momentum going. We've got another awesome guest this week, as you should know by now. I'm going to ramble a little bit before I introduce you to the guest, because it's what I like to do. Apparently, I like to talk and hear my thoughts out loud. Hopefully, you do as well. So in the last show, kind of in the beginning, I was talking about podcasting, why podcast, why people don't get started, and how to acquire the right mindset to do so. I wanted to kind of pick up that conversation where I left off because I think it's uh, valuable. I know it's valuable. People watching and maybe listening as well. Here's something, if I just compare my last podcast to this one, here's some things I did differently. And I think I can save you a whole bunch of time and money just by sharing my kind of failures, my oversights with you. Okay. Want to hear about my failures? I love talking about it. Makes me so happy. So one thing you need to think about is how I'm going to be different. My last podcast, the tagline changed several times over the years, but it ended up being the, the podcast was titled after the company. It was intentionally inspirational and it was mindset, marketing, and motivation. The category that it was in, in uh, Apple Podcast or iTunes was business and entrepreneurship. So I guess categories. Problem is those are the most competitive categories on earth with podcasts. And just by reading the name of the podcast, people had no idea what the hell they were walking into. So it's like, okay. So trying to stand out, I would talk to entrepreneurs about their journey. And sometimes I would talk by myself and as I like, really don't know what to talk about. So just kind of talk. And it grew, you know, we never had anything crazy. I think we're at about 23,000 downloads. It still gets downloads, but we haven't put anything out in a year and a half. And that's fine. I never stopped to consider, how's this going to be different? How's this going to stand out? Are people going to read the title and have any idea what it is? And all those things worked against me for that reason. So do some research. I used uh, Apple Podcasts for this show. Uh, dug around, tried to find other real estate investor marketing podcasts. And like I've mentioned before, I found one that kind of fits that realm. But I was like, this isn't going to be coming from a real estate investor. It's going to be coming from a marketer. And I'm going to use my gift to gab and talk to people about the journey. And we're going to learn about the journey and learn about real estate investing. But we're also going to hear the different angles and flavors of how they've used marketing successfully and not successfully in their businesses. So here we are. So it's targeted towards what we do. I think it stands out on the market. It's different. I wrote down a plan. I'm going to use eight talking points in every episode. Some people will get the exact same questions in every show, but I'm going to give myself permission to ad lib and run as I see fit. And that's what we do. And it works well and it's super chill and there's no rules for the guests. So these are things I thought about because I was like, man, I've put in all this time on this old show and there's not really any growth. Nothing's happening. So these are some things to think about. I would say to you, if you are podcasting or if you want to, give it a hundred published episodes before you do anything crazy. Right. When I say do anything crazy, I mean, quit. I mean, pivot. 
I mean, rebrand, et cetera, hundred episodes. Cause by then you're going to know, yes, this is fruitful in these ways or no, it's not hundreds a good mark to get to. So if you're doing a show a week, it's going to take you two years, something like that. Or if you launch heavy, like we did five episodes the first week and you know, there's a, a ramp plan there. You can speed up that process a little bit. Now, the other thing I would say is if you try to do a daily show, you go that aggressive, it will become work. It will become serious work because it's, uh, even if you batch record so many episodes a week, it's going to become a lot. So things to think about. All right. Today I am talking to my friend and client, Melanie McDaniel of Freestyle Capital Group. And she's just such a, a light happy personality. I always enjoy talking to her. I've had a bunch of Zoom calls. Uh, she's been a real estate investor since 2015, and she really prides herself on positioning her company to be a boutique private equity firm. So it's very personalized. She really prides herself on actually knowing each one of her investors. So uh, this is a great show. I know you'll enjoy it. Let's check it out now, shall we? Hey, Melanie, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Glad to have you here. So I don't know this story about you, I don't believe, but uh, tell me how you got started down the road of real estate investing. Where'd that begin? Oh, man. So not till I was like 35, unfortunately. I'm a little late to the game. Yeah, military, law enforcement, that's my background. And I got married for five minutes. And somehow, so me being the, I have a job, blue collar, retirement, super live within your means the whole way i was raised mary's a trust fund baby who had a very different idea about bunny not saying he's right or i was wrong but somehow i got the book rich dad poor dad into my hands by the time our relationship was ending and that kind of opened my eyes up to what i was missing out on and why didn't anybody tell me <laughs> and it's like not rocket science but it's life-changing <laughs> so 2015 i read that book it took me until about 2017 to get my mindset right, like outside of this risk averse, put money in a 401k sort of live within your means mindset to take risk, go all in, trust yourself, do something big and invest in real estate. Damn it. Can I say that? I There are so many investment ways to make money out there, right? And there's stuff I probably don't even have exposure to yet that are probably awesome as well. Maybe oil and gas or carbon capture. I don't know. There's stuff out there. But real estate is so fundamental. It just makes so much sense. I was just so mad when I read that book. I'm just like, it's so basic. Why did nobody tell me this? And why was I too dumb to figure it out myself? But I think I'm in that boat with a lot of people. Like when you read that book, you, you just, you can't unread it. Yep. So anyway, that was my start. It's just the the seed got planted and then I, yeah, shifted my whole life and I'm all in on real estate now. That's awesome. I didn't know that about you in regards to the uh, military law enforcement background. So thank you for your service. I did not take that lightly. I love freedom. Absolutely love it. You know, what's funny is the house I grew up in, my stepdad was a lawyer. My mom was a court reporter. We never talked about entrepreneurship. Hey, my mom is a court reporter. <laughs> To this day, she's really? going to retire soon, but like 35 years. And most people don't even know what that is, by the way. I would have a little shorthand machine. I used to always get into it and like screw up all of her notes as a kid. And The stenographer, she's a stenographer that the stenograph, right? But she would call it her pecker. Yep, absolutely. And I remember our first computer we got, uh, I was the first kid, the first person I knew that had internet at home. 
we got a prodigy disc and we like didn't sign up for that, but we got the first AOL disc. We signed up and like everybody's like, what in the world is this computer stuff? But anyway, the house I grew up in, nobody talked about entrepreneurship. Everything was what you said. You go to school, you get a degree, you find a good company. And I was like, well, what about these people with their trucks and doing the lawn mowing? Cause I had a landscaping business. So I'm like, no, you don't want to do that. And it's funny. Cause once I got into the corporate world for seven years, I was like, I feel dead inside. I don't want to do this crap, you know? So it's interesting, uh, the environment we grow up in influences heavily what we think is possible. We'll say that. Absolutely. It it doesn't just influence it. It, it dampens our potential because it puts yep. us in the matrix of society. And I had nobody in my life. Well, the only entrepreneurs I had as examples were my two uncles who lost a bunch of money and were greedy and just terrible entrepreneurs. That was it. So entrepreneurs were bad and money was bad and wealth was bad and rich people are assholes, you know, all that stuff. Yep. Um, yeah, it was a lot of undoing to be undone in those, the mindset years, I call them the 2015 to 2017 range. Yeah. My my kids now, so I have a 12-year-old daughter, 12 going on 25, anybody with daughters might uh, know what I'm talking about there. And my son's uh, going to be 17 here in a couple of months. And I teach him, hey, you can do whatever you want. You know, my son's very engineer-minded, architecture-minded. I'm like, for that stuff, you need to go to school. You don't have a choice. But look at what I'm doing. Look at this other stuff. You know, so sky's the limit. Uh, here's why the stock market sucks. Here's why traditional. You don't go to a bank and open an account to make money. I know that makes any sense. Mathematically, it makes no sense. And so we teach him that stuff now and just give him that big open mind to what's really going on. It's kind of neat. It'll, it'll be interesting to see what they choose to do. So it's funny with the whole bank thing where we go, we use a bank and when you're a kid and you don't know any different, you're like, oh, the bank is where I go put my money, right? Well, take them to the the nearest large city, walk around the city and look at what the names are on those skyscrapers. And that will tell you who has the money and who owns them, the banks. So it's like, don't use the bank, be the bank. Somehow be the bank. There you go. <laughs> So what asset classes and or markets do you typically focus on and why? Well, of course, it's always been sort of a pivot. I have a big background, like basis in diversification. So diversification of asset classes, geographies, operators, and the business models. Some are cash flow, some are upside or more risky, right? So diversification is the fundamental to me. So when it comes to Asset classes, I think apartments, is, it's where I started. So it's very fundamental. But right now they're just so expensive compared to what you can get in triple net. I love industrial triple net. It's ugly. It's not sexy. It's very boring. And that's why I like it. And there's not a lot of value at or ups. There's no like work to be done. Yeah. Your work is buying it at the right price, getting the right debt, and collecting your rent once a month. That's your work. Done. Yeah. Love it. Storage, because you can raise rents monthly and nobody's gonna leave over $10. And if something like COVID happens, or I, I don't know if I can say that because you know, whatever, listening to- say whatever you want. Yeah, if something like that happens again, they don't put moratoriums on businesses, triple net. They don't put moratoriums on storage units. If someone stops paying their rent and they're a business, they're gone and you take their crap. Yep. If they don't pay their storage unit bill, they're gone and you take their crap. But if somebody is living in that thing, the government wants to step in and say, oh, no, landlord, it's on you. You need to provide housing for the rest of the United States now, right? You know, a little bit burned on that, but they won't put a moratorium on those things. So fundamentally, I think the three, my, my favorite three are those apartments, storage, and triple net. I think there's a place for any affordable housing. So local home parks, arguably RV parks. I don't know them. 
or retail and office. I don't know. They kind of took a hard hit during COVID as well. So I just like to stick to the fundamentals. Those are my three favorite, though I'm open to development and other things. It just It's diversification. I like build to rent too. I think that would make sense. Yeah, those are my favorite. And then geographies, if it's a triple net, I don't care too much. It just matters what the economics of the area are, jobs and the need for whatever it is. Same with storage. When it comes to apartments, I care about the politics of the state. <laughs> and that, you know, there's an economy there. People are moving there. Jobs are coming there. People are increasing their income. All the good stuff that supports rent. Gotcha. I like it. It makes sense. It's an interesting question because people go, only do Dallas, only do this. And then people like you are more diverse and you know people in between. So it's interesting. Can I tell you why? Yeah, sure. What's important here is I do deal with lots of different people. So I have a fund of funds. Yeah. So I can diversify. But if somebody is the operator, I want them to specialize in a market in a asset class. So yeah. that it depends on who you're talking to. If it is an operator, they better be in Dallas and only Dallas. <laughs> and once they've mastered Dallas, they can expand to Houston. But these guys that are buying nationally, unless they have a really long track record, a huge team, lots of data, fine. But if they're kind of newer sponsors, I don't want to see them buying assets in a bunch of states. It makes sense. Yep. Yeah, I like it. Let me ask you, what simple marketing strategies and tactics allowed you to initially get traction with what you're doing? I am a very relational one-to-one -one person. So my best investors have still been people I've met in person, either from when I was an agent living in Virginia, military connections, or just people I've met at meetups or whatever. That has still been my number one source of investors. And personally, it's how I like to run my business. But we also, and I go to a lot of conferences and meet people, but you don't want to leave investors on the table, so to speak, if you're not at least utilizing the tools that we have, which is social media. And that's where the funnel comes in and, and what you guys do that's super helpful. But yeah, my best investors are people I have real relationships with. And then building on those and knowing that every time you go talk to an investor, you're not trying to get money out of them, right? Like having a real relationship, <laughs> beer, then money, <laughs> the beer and then money. <laughs> Uh, it's really great advice, man. You know, I, I didn't place the big enough emphasis on it until I got kind of in this industry. This is a very relationship-based industry. My superpower is a gift to gap. I'm an extroverted freak. So relationship thing's a big deal. And I like to think that I'm a really good judge of character. Like if I meet you, your vibe is going to tell me if I can trust you or not right away. It's hard to describe it, but it's never really let me down. So I can see how that could be huge for, for what you're doing as well. It makes a lot of sense to me. Well, you're taking people's hard-earned money. So it's funny how uh, Wall Street has so much of our respect. People just throw money in the stock market and don't even think about it, right? They don't know who's running it, what fees they're charging. And if it loses, they don't take it personal. They don't go after the company, you know. But if you're a syndicator, you're doing private equity, and they're about to write you a big check, like, yeah, they want to have that relationship. They want to trust the person, which is totally understandable, as it should be. Yeah, would you say that this is just kind of off the cuff here, but would you say that people invest with you because of your belief in what you're doing, or are they so emotionally connected with the deal? Is it you or is it the deal that people are investing in if you had to pick one or the other? Me. I mean, I don't like that uh, responsibility. I want them to look at their deals and, and make wise decisions based on the underlying deal, but it starts with, with me. People trust me. Yeah. It's amazing how far that goes. Like if people believe that you believe what you're saying in many scenarios in life, that matters a whole bunch. When I got started with this business, I had no idea what I was doing. Upwork was where I got all my jobs. And I would say, hey, Melanie, I know you want me to do this thing for you. And, and 
Google, right? I have no idea what I'm doing with PPC, but uh, I'll figure it out. If you trust me and I'll give you one, it might take me a while. People are like, okay, I was just honest with them. And I would put in the work and teach myself the thing and get it done. But it's amazing what you can do if you believe in yourself. You got to be willing to put in work. And if people see that, it'll go a long way for you. So I absolutely agree with that. And what comes with that is like the superhero thing, right? It gives you great power. Uh, so you have great responsibility because there are people out there that go and they really believe in it. They really can sell something. They really believe in it, but they still don't know what they're doing. Yep. So you still have to be super careful. They give the, the WeWork guy, right? He's raised billions, FTX, billions of dollars, billions. They're very believable. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they know what they were doing and they were fraudulent. I mean, so yes, for sure. People trust me with that comes huge responsibility. No pressure. No pressure. So much pressure. And if people don't feel the pressure, they shouldn't be raising capital. Yeah, I hear you. Now, if it makes you feel any better, I've been out of my comfort zone for like three straight months. I don't remember what comfort feels like. So <laughs> I'm no longer on the right track. Right before this podcast, somebody opted into our Wind River Equity Partners website, opted in my list. I'm like, the site's not even done yet. Who's on it? So I reached out to my team. I was like, somebody testing out this form. They're like, no, it wasn't us. Crap. You know, it's not, it's not even mobile optimized. It doesn't even look good. Like there's people already looking at it, which is bad, but Hey, I'm uncomfortable. So that lets me know I'm doing something. So well, it gives you an opportunity to start practicing on it, making the call. <laughs> so if you had to look at uh, the beginning of your journey till now, what would you say your biggest mistake or regret is with your marketing so far? Well, off as a mistake or a regret, but it definitely slowed me down. So I was a bootstrapper. I did my own website and I did my own active campaign back in early 2020. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if you just don't have the cash, that's kind of all you can do, but you're giving up your time to do it. Right. And so I learned a lot in the process, which is important, but at some point my time was better spent talking to investors, going to events, not trying to sit on a chat with active campaign, trying to figure something out. I think my biggest regret is probably not getting my funnel together sooner. I think a year of your own website and a year of your own trying stuff is fine if you're a bootstrapper. But a year in, you should be investing money in the stuff like that. Because I let a lot of investors slip through my fingertips simply because I didn't have a way to capture them. They came into my funnel, they probably got a newsletter, and then they got cooked out on the other side and nobody ever talked to them again. So so maybe that's the, re the regret. Uh, but it's okay. Like... I had to be on my time schedule and I'm the, um, what is it? Profit first mindset. And that probably comes from my blue collar background. I don't want debt. I don't want to get involved in something I can't afford. Albeit if I spent a hundred thousand dollars in Facebook ads, maybe I would, I would raise $10 million. Well, mindset wise, like I'm not, I'm not there. So I just have to operate in my own limited thinking, I guess. Yep. So maybe that's, if there is a regret is just investing sooner, but to, Mine and anybody else out there, you know, I have also wasted money and trusted people on some product and spent a lot of money and it was nothing. So there are a lot of salespeople out there with products to sell and not all of them are created equals. It's, I don't know. I don't think there's a perfect strategy unless somebody just handed you, here it is. This is everything you need all put together and it's free. Like, yeah. I just had to kind of figure it out. So I give myself a little bit of break, but I'm here now. So we're good. That's a great response because <laughs> I think a lot of people resonate with that. I was sitting in this office two and a half years to my business, still working full time. I think I had gone back to corporate America because it didn't work the first time. My wife says, where's the money in this business you're doing? 
and I couldn't answer the question. And it really like flipped my world upside down. I had spent two and a half years working on my tagline and my colors and all this crap that didn't matter. I was like, man, none of this matters. So it's really, really interesting. The crazy thing is there's a whole bunch of ways to be successful and it can get overwhelming trying to figure out which the right one is. But no, I totally get it. I bootstrapped everything and it took, it's taking a really long time to get good traction. So that's good. Good stuff. All right. I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball here. Hope you're ready for a curveball. I think you'll like it. Are you willing to share a story about your real estate investor journey that you haven't shared on another podcast or publicly? It can be anything you want. Humor, happy, sad, whatever you want. A lot of people share something funny. We've heard some crazy stuff so far, but it can be whatever you want to. Well, I've shared a lot on podcasts. The bad stuff, the money lost, the whatever. Uh, luckily, so far, it's only my own money that I've lost. <laughs> <laughs> Takeaway is don't trust newbies. Sorry, I, I just don't have to participate in your first deal with me, Warren. So the, the lesson there, we'll just skip to that. I, I really, I don't know. I've shared everything. I don't have anything that I'm thinking of that's not currently happening that I probably can't share because, as you know, the economy is doing the economy thing right now and everybody's saying there's blood in the streets. Well, I have a couple of deals that are definitely hanging by a thread and I can't talk about it publicly because they're, you know, live deals. But I would say there's a lot of people not talking about those things. And most of us are probably caught up in something because I, I have a mastermind where we can talk behind closed doors. And yeah. Everybody, everybody, I don't care how big their platform is, yeah. everybody's suffering right now. Yeah. So sorry I'm not answering your question fully. You're fine. But the story that I'll share is there are behind the scenes stories in this current 2023 spring coming up environment. Do you think this year, this coming year, just across the United States in general, There'll be more capital calls happening than we've seen. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know what's funny? It's not funny. It's the wrong word. It's ironic is, let's see if I can be vague enough. I had a conversation with a person maybe six months to a year ago. We were talking about my services and what I was doing, and they were excited that I didn't hear from them for a while. Then they came back like, I found somebody better. I don't need you, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, whatever. I just got wind the other day that they're in that capital call season right now. Things aren't going so well. So, yeah, you got to be careful when you're a rookie diving into stuff aggressively and cocky because it sounds like it can end up in a place where things are very uncomfortable. Yes, it's a very interesting time right now knowing what deals are surviving, what aren't. Some that I tried to get in on, I mean, before I did due diligence, it was kind of like, oh, no, it's a closed deal. We're we're done. We're good. I'm like, oh, wah, wah, wah come to find out they did a fire sale. They didn't even try to salvage the deal. They just sold it at cost and lost all the investor money. That was their choice. They could have raised half a million dollars and saved it, but they didn't even try. Yep. So my journey is, you know, going from real estate agent to small, my own deals to doing some co-GP deals and then launching a fund. And now I'm looking at potentially another fund. And you can only go as far as your mindset, your no- your knowledge, and your, your network. Honestly, you're constantly growing. You're not going to jump into this business and go do institutional deals. Now, especially after seeing what's happening with our small syndicators, people who, everyone's a genius that's been doing real estate in the last 10 years. I want to do deals with people who have been in the business 25 years, yeah. have a long track record. Their current portfolio is safe because they always stuck to the fundamentals. Yeah. And so now I want to launch a fund of funds and just invest in institutional funds that you can't get in unless you know the people 
and the minimums are like a million or more. That is where I'm tracking now because I know everybody's trying, everyone needs to get started at a place, but if you launch a a coaching program specifically, you look like the guru, you're telling everybody else what to do, but when your deals are not doing so well, you're not sharing the truth, you're fake to me. And there are more of those right now. I'm so skeptical. Someone has a training program, more skeptical of them. I mean, that's just the truth. I mean, I'm not gonna throw everybody over the bus as a mastermind program or something, but they're not talking about it is where the problem is. Yeah, it's interesting. That's where the learning happens. Oh, yeah. Nobody's talking about it. It's interesting. Two things you say that, that pop to mind. One is the saying, fake it till you make it, makes me want to throw up and it makes me fighting mad. I've always rejected that. I've always said, I either know this from experience or I don't, and I'm going to learn. Okay. I can't stand fake. There's never a time to fake it till you make it. I hate it. And the other thing is sharing the the authentic failures. You want to get a good open rate in your newsletter, put something in the subject line that indicates you failed. You have the best open rate you've ever seen. I did it last week about LinkedIn shut me down. Open rates through the roof. Because humans are, are attracted to vulnerability. They're attracted to real, especially when it comes to losses, not wins, which is kind of weird. But if you think about news in general, why does news get people's attention? Because negativity sells. Now, I'm not saying you have to be negative, but sharing those losses is massively powerful, not only with your audience, but t- potential investors and partners as well. So, Well, yeah, but also the biggest lessons come from the trials. Absolutely. All the lessons came from the trials. Absolutely. So yeah, there, there's such a thin line between success and failure. And I think we forget that even though we're failing, that's not bad, because that means we're really close to success. It might be one little tweak, and then you're like, holy crap, there we are. So yeah, just keep going. And something else you said, everything comes back to mindset. Everything's a mindset game. Even physical challenge, hiking, mountain climbing, it's all a mindset game. Once that body breaks down, you got to be able to go somewhere else and keep the machine moving. So if somebody were going to get into this business today, they said, Melanie, what's one piece of advice you would give me? What should I be doing with my marketing? What would you tell them? Okay, I'm going to answer your question, but I'm going to say first, because I said this on a stage once, and everyone in the room started clapping, okay? Because some kid at the front row was like, hey, what about imposter syndrome? You know, I have imposter syndrome. Like, if you're an imposter, stop. If you don't know what you're doing, you don't need to be raising capital or taking people's funds. So that's the first thing. Know what you're doing. And then we can get to the marketing, right? I mean, consistency, re-engaging, but still for me is the warm human touch. And if they're in a physical location where you can see them, make an effort to see them. I just think the human connection, especially when it comes to money and trust and people invest with people they trust, it's important to just have those one-on-one coffee meetings. If you can't, Zoom is the next best thing, but just get off the email as soon as possible. Get off the phone if you can and get in person. That's the key to my success, I would say. I think it's great advice, and it it drives me nuts. Like, if you're going to do a Zoom call, for God's sakes, get on video, because people pull so much from your body language, and, you know, that video can show. It's not as good as real life. It's a whole lot better than the phone or the black screen. So I have a rule, anytime I'm on Zoom, I'm on video 100% of the time, no matter what, because it makes a big difference. It speeds up. I mean, you may not like me, but I don't think anybody's going to see me and go, that guy seems like a bullshitter. I mean, I don't give that five, because if not... And you can get that by watching me. So it's really, really powerful. So I think that's great advice. So we are in February of 2023, the time of this recording. What are you focused on your business for the rest of this year? Well, 
because I'm potentially going to launch this new fund. I am focusing on getting, like, I'm here in Austin, so attending a lot of, like yesterday, I went to a coffee, it's a coffee and Tesla event. I don't have a Tesla, but anybody's invited. <laughs> you better believe I showed up because there are a lot of people with money in that space. I really want to target Austin for this next fund. I really want to, that because I, I really feel like the relationship piece is is so important that I will target Austin and of course capture the rest of the nation and investors here and there with my online marketing. But I really want to build just the relationships here with the people here because it's not just who you meet. It's who you meet that knows other people that will introduce you. And it's just it's this network as we call the networking, right? It's just a network of people. And if you can make one happy investor, he's going to tell 10 of his friend. So for me, lots of in-person meetings. I'm going to get on more podcasts this year once the, the fund is launched and I have my, what I'm going to say, like the pitch together a little bit better, then I'll be doing podcasts because I do think people hearing voice and hearing the knowledge, it builds trust too. And then I can get them on the phone or get them in person eventually. But yeah, keeping the, building out the funnel, keeping that tight because once I'm on a podcast, I need them to come in and get sticky, right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's what I'm focusing on. And just more institutional grade investments for my investors and getting as big of checks as possible together so I can negotiate harder for them and get them even more money. That's what I'm focusing on. Beautiful. You bring up a good point. You know, one relationship can change your life and your business. One new relationship can change the game for you. So very good stuff. If somebody listening or watching wants to get more information from you or learn more about what you're doing now, how can they do so? Well, the website's always a good start. Freestyle Capital Group. If, well, it depends on if they're trying to learn how to be financially free. I have a free guide on there that kind of takes you in your personal situation. What financial freedom means, where you are now, how to get there. It's, you know, some mindset stuff. So it's like a little guide. And then social media, of course, I'm around there. And then people who, I get a lot of people who ask me about funds, how to launch funds or whatever. Uh, so I do have a little consulting option, but they just need to somehow find me through the website, they'll get to me. They'll jump, jump into your funnel that you created for me and end up on a call. <laughs> but email melody at freestylecapitalgroup.com. I'm very easy to find. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on today. I've had a great time. Hope you have as well and uh, appreciate everything. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the show. I had a great time making it and I hope you really enjoyed yourself listening to it. If you want to keep up with all things Real Estate Investor Marketing Stories podcast related, I encourage you strongly to go to reimarketingstories.com and signing up for our podcast newsletter. We will simply keep you up to date with what's going on with the show, new episodes, and things like that. reimarketingstories.com So hopefully today's episode and the other episodes that you'll listen to will remind you that as a real estate investor, everybody starts at the beginning, Okay. Um, our guest today and the other guests that you will hear on this show will share their real story, right? They'll tell you what worked, what didn't work. And I want you to remember one thing if you remember nothing else today. It's possible for you to, okay? Never stop going and keep following your passion. Finally, today's show has been brought to you by CapitalRaisingAutomations.com. If you're an active capital raiser, you are ready to learn the three areas that are holding you back from raising more capital, I strongly suggest you check out CapitalRaisingAutomations.com 
check out our free 10 minute video there and you let me know if it doesn't provide you value. I'm sure it will. All right. Thanks again for listening to the show this week. Hope to see you next time. Take care.